may be boring, but his guests aren't. It's Al's Boring Podcast. Oh, hi there. Al Dukes here, and my guest today on the podcast from Toucher and Rich up in Boston, it's Rich. Hi, Rich. Hey, you are going to get unbelievable amounts of clicks out of this podcast. Oh, good. Yeah, I saw, you, I saw you guys have a lot of Twitter followers. That helps me. Uh, yeah, well, we, we do. Most of them are just to tell us how much we suck. Uh, but uh, other than that, yes, we do. We are very lucky to have uh, fairly loyal followers, even yeah. if it is just to tell us we suck. Yeah, you know, I've been. I normally I'll do different broadcasters on this thing, and I, and the strange thing is, well, people that have a, a a long history in broadcasting generally have a terrible Twitter following or no Twitter at all. Yeah, so they can't get it to their people. Yeah, so this is different. I think that was, I mean, maybe it's all the people who had been in broadcasting for much longer than I have, and I guess just were confused by Twitter when it first came out. Basically, people way more successful than me are those people that you're speaking of. No. Uh, maybe it's a reverse thing. More Twitter followers than the uh, the lesser the success, possibly. So you run the, the Toucher and uh, uh, Rich Twitter, but you don't have your own personal Twitter, or is is that your Twitter? That is that is my Twitter, and I even put at the top that it's um, run by me. And so there's a lot of stuff on there that's not just used for marketing the show, even though that's mostly it, but a bunch of stupid tweets about bands that probably nobody but me cares about and, you know, uh, nerdy movie stuff like that. So, yeah, that is that is me that runs it. Fred has said for the longest time that he doesn't want to because he's afraid that he is going to do something dumb. Like he, he tweeted out the other night, he took a bunch of Ambien, and just tweeted out a video of himself shirtless, rapping while on Ambien and like kissing the camera. It was extremely odd. The next morning, I it's one of the very one of the very few times I've actually texted my partner and gone, "Hey man, you okay? Uh, how's it going, man?" And uh, yeah, so that ended up living in infamy. The Fred Toucher Ambien video. So that's why I run the account and not Fred. Do you ever get nervous that you're going to tweet out something stupid? Like uh, working with CBS, we always get emails with like Twitter guidelines and social media guidelines, and, and they kind of make you nervous that you're going to tweet something stupid that will get you fired eventually. Oh yeah, I mean you got to be mindful of that. I've I know, geez, I know like at least three people personally who have either been suspended for something they tweeted, or I, I know of one guy who was fired. That guy uh, in Atlanta? Uh, well, there, well, there was the guy in Atlanta, and, I, and he, like, he was a, a someone who was a guest of the show, and I know him personally, and he got in big trouble for that. Um, and But there was a guy in Texas, who in Dallas, because I, I worked there for a little bit before he came to Boston, and he was you know a friend of a friend, and he tweeted something really stupid, and he got fired. So yeah, every time before you press send, you got to... You got to kind of think it through. Now, as far as something that just makes you look dumb, you know, that, that I have no hesitancy there because, I mean, that happens all the time. Yeah. But as far as something that's going to get you fired, you know, I like to think that if you don't speak it in real life, you won't tweet it in real life. But then again, there's also people who try to read into tweets when you completely or you worded something wrong and it's and, and it's twisted the wrong way. You know, if it's something like that, then I would believe it's easy to defend. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you bet your ass. I mean, it, it's funny how nowadays it's not just going in and cracking the mic for four hours a day and having this horrible fear that something's going to come out wrong. It's the, you know, this horrible fear that you could tweet something that, you know, maybe maybe the spell correct changes it to something that makes you look awful. But yes, I am paranoid, Al. A long answer to a short question. Yeah, like when you're on the air for four hours a day, five days a week, that's 20 hours. Then you're on social media. Eventually you will say something. Like that's how these careers end all the time, right? Like people just lose their jobs by saying something. Because so, a lot of times when you say something and maybe you're joking, 
when it's in print in the newspaper the next morning, it just loses the humor, and it just it's just the words in print. You know, I like to think that it's getting better. I mean, I, I there's been a few stories out lately where someone has tweeted something fairly controversial, and maybe it's maybe it's all due to the success of whatever show does it. I like to think that you you're given some sort of a I don't want to say mulligan, like, you know, once or twice you might be able to do something kind of dumb. It depends on how dumb it is. But I, I, I would I, th- I like to think that the sensitivity like people are getting so sick of trying to find outrage in every single little thing that it's almost becoming like uh, like, like everyone's been a victim at some point, And so now there's a little bit of sympathy towards somebody who screws up once. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the pendulum is hopefully swinging in the other direction, at least for us in broadcasting. And I, I kind of feel it might be going back to the way of people using common sense nowadays. And it makes you think back, like you, you were on a WBCN when Opie and Anthony were there, correct? Uh, yeah, they, we were brought here to well first we were brought here with the promise that we were going not promise but we were told we were going to replace the disaster that was David Lee Roth when he replaced Stern right and between them telling us that us signing a contract and actually moving here Opie and Anthony got that deal that moved them to mornings and we went to afternoons and that actually took the pressure off of us because we didn't have to be you know we, we, you know we, we had a, a really good morning show and people who liked them could hopefully listen to us and and that all kind of came that way yeah so Opie and Anthony obviously no stranger controversy but you were you were not at BCN when it was Howard in the morning Opie and Anthony in the afternoon right you you guys were not there yet no at that time Fred and I were probably well it depends Fred and I both started we met each other at 99x in Atlanta I was uh, doing mornings and Fred was doing uh, the, the the night show and Fred was just, we were the two youngest guys at the station. We were both like early 20s. And he was one of these guys, I'd never heard it before. It was like in the heyday of Limp Biscuit. You remember how like, Limp, <laughs> oh, yeah. like they were like huge? I mean, there, there was like a, Fred was the only guy in the heyday of that band who went on the air and said, I refuse to play this band. They suck. You know, this lead singer is a total tool. And, you know, at the now it sounds like, oh, of course he is. But at the time, that was unbelievable to hear on the radio. And he would insult bands to their faces if they deserved it, like if they were asses. And then the bands he liked, they would be drinking by the end of it on the air. I mean, it was must-less in radio. <laughs> and uh, we were kind of the, you know, young kids making fun of all the, you know, the idiots at the, at the, at the station. And we became friends. And then they moved him to mornings. I went to go work with uh, Kid Craddock out in Dallas uh, doing a uh, like a syndicated show for a couple years uh, with him. And then when Stern left and announced he was leaving radio, we're like, you know what? There's going to be a whole hell of a lot of openings all around the country. Let's uh, finally get this show together. And that's how we ended up at BCN. Now, I remember I was working at uh, CBS Corporate with uh, Chris Olivero uh, during that uh, Howard Stern replacement search type of thing. And yeah. he, he used to forward me. So first of all, I, I was in charge of trying to find a producer for David Lee Roth. And I somehow came across a tape of you w- from Kid Craddock. Where, did you used to do stuff like on the street? I did, yeah. That was um, that was kind of – it's funny. That's how I really got into radio is because I was an intern in the morning show in Atlanta. And I just asked him. I was like, hey, can I take one of these hidden mics out? It was like a pen mic. And they're like, yeah, whatever. And I came back in, and I would do this stuff that was just so over the top that they ended up hiring me. And then I, of course, you know, became better on the air, and I became like one of the fourth people. But then when I went to Craddock, I started doing some more of that stuff. And you know, I would kind of 
interview people in a strange way, like celebrities uh, and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. So uh, I, you got a tape. That's interesting. I I, th- I thought I remember you you being at a, some type of NASCAR event. Oh, what was the NASCAR bit that I did? I did a couple things. I mean, I used to. I used to like do NASCAR spelling bees. I would. I went to one time to one of the smokers' tents and just. Uh, yeah. The, 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 the bit was how many times will this man cough while I answer it? Yeah, it was sentence. things like that. And I remember like <laughs> I, I was getting horrendous tapes and everything. It really gave me like an idea like, wow, I, I, I could have the top jobs in this business because these, all these things were t- terrible. And yeah. your thing was the one thing that stood out. And I don't remember if when I had talked to Chris about it, were we looking like, oh, maybe he could be a producer that does stuff uh, on the air. But I don't know where that ever went. But I knew I knew you were working at that show. And then yeah. and then years later, when I when I heard that you were at BCN, I was like, oh, that's the guy I remember hearing his tape. And it was very funny. And, and I hate like I hate every you know, I'm one of those guys. I hate everything. <laughs> like I grew up listening to Howard Stern. So back then you hated everything that wasn't Howard Stern. But then, you know, I worked at NEW with Opie and Anthony and Ron and Fez. So, um, but then I actually had to produce the David Lee Roth show. Oh, wow. Because wow. We, they, we couldn't find anyone that he liked and he took a liking to me. So I, I had to take that job for a little while. Can, um, I, can I ask you yeah. about that? Because I'm, we are fascinated here because yes. I was, when I was living in Dallas, you know, I, I would listen to um, David Lee Roth during that small amount of time. Fred was in Atlanta, so he didn't get to hear it. It wasn't on in that market. And I keep telling him stories about that show and about how unbelievable, like how just I, I couldn't believe some of the stuff that was coming out of there. First of all, what happened to all the tapes? Like you can't find tapes of that show anywhere. When I want to play him some of the stuff, uh, you can't find it. And second of all, the day that he was given the orders from CBS – to get rid of the bongo music, <laughs> yeah. to book to book guests was one of the greatest moments <laughs> of radio I've ever heard. I'm and no exaggeration, no hyperbole. It was phenomenal radio because it almost sounded like he was gonna sue CBS, like he was threatening that you know he's losing money because he could have gotten Van Halen. But tell me about that day when you guys got the letter from CBS and how he reacted. Uh, you know, I'm not even sure if I was involved anymore because little by little. Uh, guys got thrown at, little by little he stopped talking to people so he had stopped talking to Tom Chiasano then he had stopped talking to Chernoff uh, and then I was the next man in line so then he stopped talking to me oh, uh, so I think I was I may have been already off of the show at that point it was it was a crazy battle I, I think he was probably told by the people who signed him up that he had total control and then they probably told uh, Chernoff and Chiasano, you're in charge of this guy. Make it work. You know, I I think they were probably both told that they were in charge, and I, I think that maybe is the reason why that that whole thing was a disaster. At, at what moment did you realize? And even if before you were with him, like at what moment did you realize, just working at CBS, that this show was a disaster? As uh, well, you said? listen, I, I think anybody who was put in that slot after Howard Stern was going to be in trouble. That's, I mean, that's true. You can't. You don't want to be the guy who replaces yeah. the guy. You want to be the guy who replaces the guy who replaced the guy. I had I had heard tapes. He had done a week of shows on BCN at night. I guess in, in preparation, or or that was his resume that he was putting in for for the Stern job. And I just thought like the the problem with that show is he took a lot of topics that were kind of general, the general talk topics. It's like in sports, if if you had 
a, a generic topic would be, should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? Should the steroid guys be in the Hall of Fame? And, and those are boring topics that, you know, is e- easily done. And he was doing the talk version of that. So, like, gun control, um, just just the, the this death penalty. This is, like, the generic topics. And it wasn't really anything specific to what was going on that particular day in the news. And I think that is when I kind of knew it was... That and when, like, guys that don't do radio, that come from somewhere other than radio... Think yeah. that they're gonna change how radio is done? Like, oh, we're oh, gonna... sure. And then ne- they always have the same ideas. Like, whether they're former players or former rock stars, they always have like the same ideas that they think are gonna. Oh, I'm gonna turn the industry on its head. It, it just <laughs> doesn't. It doesn't work that way. Al, did he have a live guitarist in studio? He had. Yeah, he had a. Yes, he did have a large. <laughs> Every time he, he would tell guitar. a joke, he go, "You know, <laughs> that's what she said to the." Well, I could just imagine him back. I mean, I, I, the way I, when I describe it to Fred, I can't believe the words are coming out of my mouth. Yeah, just how unbelievably bad it all was, and like the the bongo music and crazy stuff that was in the background that never seemed to like, like go away. Like yeah. he would speak, and we. I mean, it, 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 it's just um, it's so amazing. It's the Plan Nine from Outer Space of radio shows. Yeah, he had I, cases of CDs with instrumental beats <laughs> on it. And they were like obtrusive, like oh, like like you couldn't ignore these beats. So when he would speak, he would be battling with these drums, <laughs> trying to do it. And he would then he was like, "Hey, how about abortion, huh?" <laughs> and, and, you just, and then the whole time, and I'm like, Fred, you will not believe this. It will blow your mind how insane this show was. I couldn't get enough. And I know it was more for the, you know, does this exist? It's like Troll Two, you know, the movie. It's like yeah. you can't believe this exists. But I, I was fascinated by it, and I was the one guy in Dallas who kept tuning in. I, if I would have had a meter, it would have been the highest-rated show in the city. I, I guarantee you that. My, my, uh, I have two favorite stories from that. One, one, you, you've worked at radio stations your whole life. No one cleans or empties the garbage on the weekend. They just, they right. don't, they don't pay somebody to do that on the weekend. So <laughs> right. when you come in Monday morning, the garbage is full from a, a weekend's work of DJs eating fast food and throwing everything in the trash. So he he uh, called me in the one Monday morning. He goes, Al, um, empty empty this garbage. <laughs> and I go, uh, well, I go, well, they don't really empty the garbage on the weekends. He he threw the lid down at my feet. And it was a heavy, a very heavy lid. He threw the lid down at my feet. He didn't hit me, but I, I walked away. Oh, my God. It's like, you're, so, you know, you're a grown-ass man. Right. You're, yeah. You're... <laughs> he goes, Al, this garbage isn't empty. I go, yeah, they don't do it. So he threw, he was very angry. So he threw the, the garbage lid at my feet, did not hit me, but I walked out and I didn't talk to him the rest of the day. The next morning, his manager uh, came in and shook my hand. And when he shook my hand, there was $1,000 in it. And he said, uh, Dave is uh, sorry for the uh, garbage can incident yesterday. So I got $1,000. Oh, oh, my Lord. So he essentially... Paid you off? Well, he didn't pay me off. Everyone still knew it happened. He was that was his way of apologizing. That's oh nice. That's God. a really nice way to apologize. Thousand yeah, dollars throwing... cash. <laughs> and then the <laughs> other, my other favorite moment happened at like th- uh, three o'clock in the morning on K Rock in New York. Uh, uh, Dave was in there, you know, prepping his show, and the guy who was DJing the overnight, uh, the the Van Halen song "Jump" happened to come up on the log. So when he hit the music and David Lee Roth was in the studio, he turned the mic on and sang along to the entire song at like 3 o'clock in the morning. Oh, that is just That was awesome. pretty awesome. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. 
It's Al's Boring Podcast with Al Dukes. I, I have to tell you, and, and I, I know you want to move on, but I am fascinated by that show. But the one thing about David Lee Roth is that, it, believe it or not, I, in my mind, it had a chance. I mean, think about the stories that yes. this guy must have in his, I mean, just all of the things he's seen, the rock bands he toured with. I mean, that guy lived the most extreme lifestyle for a good decade. Now, maybe, maybe more than that. I mean, as far as being on the, the top of the world and all the strange things he did with his money, you know, the, the extreme sports and everything got into, I mean, that guy had so many great stories and it was hysterical when I tuned in on the first day and he wasn't telling those. Instead, he had his uncle from Poughkeepsie or something. Uncle on Manny. Talk, uncle Manny. And I'm like, how... How big of a miss is this? Like, what are you doing? I want to hear all the, at least on the first day, come out of the box with, you know, your most outrageous rock and roll hedon, you know, hedonistic story and, and give us something. And it was just, you know, once again, let's talk about the national debt. I, could, I couldn't believe it. And it just added to the entire weirdness of the whole thing. So I'm, if you can, Al, just as a personal favor, if you have any tapes whatsoever of that show, email them to me. I would, I, I, you would, I would be the happiest person in Boston if you did that. The only thing I have, and these were great. So the production guy who worked on the show, you know, Roth used to say absurd things all the time on the air. And, and the promos every day, he would make, he would just take he would just take all of the sort of absurd things that Roth would say on the air and he'd loop them all together in a and that would be the promo. I, I have a bunch of those and those are actually very funny. It's just the sound of madness. Yes. Now that that show probably could have worked at night on like classic rock stations, you know, play a couple songs, tell yeah. a couple stories, go home, do it all again the next night, but it just it, he's not a morning guy, he's a night guy. Yeah, yeah, you know? and you're right, you know, following Stern is, you know, it's it's weird. I Fred grew up with Stern. And, uh, you know, in, in Detroit, Stern's one of the main reasons that, you know, Fred got into radio. I, I lived in a market for the most of my, actually almost all the time Stern was on, that didn't carry him. So the what I knew of Stern was from TV and his uh, late night TV show. So I only got to see it a little bit. Uh, but he's one of those guys that, you know, you just you just hear him do an interview it, with, with uh, you know, any celebrity from back in the day. And you're just like, damn, this guy just nailed it. It wasn't even for me the bits that he did. It was the ability to get anything out of anyone and make everyone feel comfortable to just spill, just spill whatever they wanted to spill. And I just, I'm, I'm constantly in awe of that. It to me, it's, it's never been the bits. It's never been the shock. It's never been any of that stuff. It's been how he just got people to open up better than anybody else in radio that I, I completely admire with that guy. Yeah, people always thought, well, it's uh, strippers and porn stars. And, and that's how he marketed himself. But it, that was such a tiny percentage of, of, a, of a show for the whole week. There'd be days where none of that would go on. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, those would, I guarantee you, probably be the best days and the best radio. I mean, he legit broke news constantly. And, and, and like he would make interviews with nobodies. Uh, be fascinating. As a matter of fact, we became friends with. Uh, he he passed away unfortunately. He had leukemia. But one of the guys from um, LFO. Oh my gosh. His oh yeah. Uh, Rich Cronin. Yeah, Rich and, Cronin. And he lived here in town. And somebody had told me some of the stuff that he had said on Stern. I didn't. I didn't even hear it. So I I just read some of the quotes. And I'm like, first of all, to have the foresight to get the guy from LFO on exactly. who'd interview him. And then to get him to talk about this stuff about Lou Pearlman and and how the how creepy it was back in the day being in a boy band and all these people who tried to exploit him, 
So we got him on the show and he became one of our best friends, you know, for a while and one of the best guests we've ever had. And I got to thank Stern for that. I mean, he he had the foresight to say this guy from like the the this ninth largest boy band from that era might have some great stories. Yeah, I remember I was in my car when he had that guy on and, and I, I clicked it on. I was like, who is this guy from LFO? No interest. What is this? Yeah, I switched back around. Of course, there was nothing else on the radio, and I, I was like, I guess I'll go back to that. And it ended up being one of the best interviews that, that he'd ever done. You know, you know what? That's kind of a lesson, too, I think, for people in radio. It's almost like, you know, when, when we first switched to the Sports Hub, there was, you know, a competing station in town that spends millions of dollars on guests, like regular weekly guests. And since we were kind of just starting off— we didn't really have a lot of money to get, you know, at the time we had the, like the big three. The Boston Celtics was uh, uh, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen. You know, those guys were expensive if you wanted to have them on the show. So we were like, well, we need sports guests. How about instead of getting the big name, what if we got like a guy who just has a strange personality or like is a fan favorite that isn't exactly a star? So like we there, do you know who Brian Scalabrini is? I don't know. Okay, Brian Scalabrini was the guy who was the like last guy on the bench. You know, on this team full of basketball players, he's this pasty skin, red-headed guy who never got any playing time, but anytime he got in, he was like a human victory cigar and people would go Scalabrini. And so like this is pretty funny. Let's try to get him on. And sure enough, he comes on the show and he ends up being really self-deprecating, funny as hell. And to the point where we built such a good relationship to where, you know, every time he would come on, people would say, well, I have this guy and he sucks. We had we set up a basketball tournament between him and all of these people who said they could beat him in basketball. And he just destroyed every single one of them. We videotaped it. We talked about it on the air. It was this huge buildup. But it goes to show that, you know, the kind of the whole Stern method is that you don't have to be a star to get a great story or great content from an interviewer or, or an interviewee. On the air. And I think that that was just a really cool thing that, uh, you know, he kind of put out there that I think more shows should run with. Yeah, the guys that are interviewed all the time, Eli Manning, guys like that, that they're so programmed to say the same thing. They don't oh, yeah. They don't say anything. Like, what do you, like, even like Mike Piazza going into the Hall of Fame, people are like, you should get Piazza. For what? He's not going to talk anything about steroids. That's all anyone cares about. So he's yeah. not going to say anything. And now try living in Boston with the uh, New England Patriots under Belichick's right. regime. We don't interview Patriots anymore because every time we try, it's like trying to talk to a war prisoner. You can't get anything out of these guys. I mean, it's all, you know, uh, well, you know, we're uh, we're taking it day to day. It's it's a whole we're on to Cincinnati thing. They don't want to answer any questions. And, you know, I feel bad because once these guys become expatriates, they end up being great guests. Right. Like once they get traded or whatever, you know, these guys open up and tell you all the, you know, the the, the crazy things that goes on behind the scenes with the Patriots. But uh, it's you're right. I mean, it's super. It doesn't matter if you're a superstar. It just matters if they're a good interview. Yeah, I don't know how, how it is for you guys, but for Boomer and Carton, we got away from guests completely. And now we'll put we'll have a guest on occasionally, but I can look at the monthly ratings and the quarter hours, and without looking to see what we did, I can tell you when the guests are on because they're always the those segments are always rated lower than just Boomer and Carton talking. Always. Yeah, the only I guess the only exception to that is, and this is, and we have the same opinion. We don't have, as a matter of fact, we don't even put a bunch of listeners on. You know, it's it's, it's a lot of people. I like to think tune in to hear good content, and when yes. you put a listener on, unless they have some really insane opinion or something like that that you can riff on, then it's just not worth it. But the, I think the exception, as far as guests is, 
is if you can build a rapport with them where you sound more like friends BSing. Like, matter of fact, we've got that with Boomer now. I mean, Fred is late, probably. I mean, he's been late a whole bunch, you know, on the show. And Boomer always busts his balls when he's late for the interview that we record on Mondays. As a matter of fact, at the Super Bowl, uh, Fred, it it was what? I think it was three in the morning or three, four in the morning. Yeah, it was two hour difference. Yeah, two hour difference. And we were about to go on the air. So actually it would have been three thirty because we have to pre recorded it at five thirty local time. So we're out in we're out in Arizona at three thirty in the morning. Fred is just a wreck. And Boomer walks over to record the interview and we crack the mics. And for the first minute, all Boomer does is laugh at Fred. Just right in his face. Like, you've got to be kidding me, Fred. My God, take a shower. And when you have like a relationship like that, then it becomes more than just X's and O's and stupid stuff like that. It becomes you know, you, you're sitting around and you feel like you're BSing with, you know, your, your friends or guys that you know. And and on top of that, Boomer's obviously legitimately funny and talented. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, doing his four hours a day here every day loosened him up to do, to be able to go on and do interviews better like that with radio guys. Yeah, and I got to think with a guy like Carton, who's got a good sense of humor, too, that, you know, they kind of... They kind of learn little things off of each other. So it's got, and you know, it's on top of that, Boomer was already good. You know, he was, he was already a good speaker and, uh, you know, makes, makes good points. I'm sure when you have athletes on, they don't mind talking to another athlete for the most part, which is kind of nice, you know? Yes, absolutely. We always, uh, and and especially like we're setting up for these Super Bowl shows coming up. I'm sure you guys are as well. And you always can tell them, oh, I haven't, uh, oh, Boomer won an MVP. You can talk to him, Uh, you know then they'll be more likely to come on, I think. Yeah, that's got to be easy. You guys have that gigantic stage, Oh, it'll too. be a giant stage this year. It's a CBS <laughs> it's like, Super Bowl. Yeah, it's 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 like, uh, you know, Kisses in concert with the, the stage you guys bring. Now, how did you guys go when when um, the Sports Hub started, WEEI? That was a dominant radio station in Boston, yes? Oh, my goodness, for years. I mean, for years upon years, they were number one and it wasn't even close and they had i mean marconi's you know that they they owned this town for at least a decade before we split before we switched over so then so how do you come in and take that audience or split Uh, it at least uh, 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 by accident to to be honest Uh, i I mean first of all when they told us we were gonna uh switch uh, I to sports talk. I told my general manager, and they, they told us like months in advance so, before they did it. So you were at BCN. Yep. BCN was doing what? They were still doing like classic rock. It, it was it was it was like alternative rock, which at the time was dead. Like right. I mean, there were no bands selling records, and it was just a de- and it frustrated us because Fred and I, you know, I thought we were doing good shows, but you know, if if you don't like hearing the Chili Peppers for the nine hundredth time or hearing Jeremy speak again, you or know, Limp Biscuit. Yeah, for that matter, then you're just not going to have that on your dial. Right. So, you know, we, we were getting a little frustrated, but when they told us we were flipping to sports talk, I, I almost wanted to quit. There was no format, and I love sports, but there's no format in radio I hated more than sports talk. Why? It was, well, because I had heard a lot of what had happened across the street. Like, I would tune into EEI every once in a while, and it would be like one of these things where, you know, the morning after – the Red Sox won the World Series, they'd be bitching about something. They'd be bitching about, like, the, the, they didn't score more runs, they should have run up the score, or bitching about some call. And I just want to say, 
for God's sakes, they just won the World Series. Enjoy this for a day. And there would be all these like false controversies like you know uh, you know francona will have, you know what if francona decides to leave after this and they would take calls for two hours on the most bs story ever like, he's not leaving he just won a world series are you guys insane and and they and it just drove me crazy and it was it was angry radio for angry people and um very lodgy like very like people who like fred actually came up with this term it's like seems all these like boston sports media guys have this hidden lodge somewhere where they all, you know, smoke cigars and you know, make plans on how to uh, change the, uh, the the dialogue in the city in order to be controversial. And, and I, I couldn't stand that kind of mentality. So we told our GM, you know, I, I, after I told him how I, I hated it and I, I didn't like it at all, he said, well, that's one of the reasons that we wanted to have you guys be the morning show is because we think that if you guys continue to do the kind of show that you do, but we give you, you know, better guests for sports and things like that, that we think that it, it could be a success. So we kind of, Fred and I looked at each other and we're like, you know what, if we're going to fail, let's fail doing the kind of show we want to do. Because that way, at least, you know, you don't, you didn't sell your soul. <laughs> so uh, we, on the very first day, like started doing these strange bits involving the players. And there was this thing that came around here called Pink Hats where it was these, uh, ever since the Red Sox won the World Series, there was a new breed of human being that would go to Fenway that would just go for the party, and they knew nothing about baseball, and they would take all the good seats. So we did a bit called Ask a Pink Hat on the first day, where we would find somebody who obviously d- didn't could care less about the game, and we would interview them about baseball questions, and they would just spectacularly fail. And so that it, you know, people were like, how dare you find humor? And, and boy, I need my X's and O's. I need my sports. So that kind of mentality, like an FU mentality, I guess, to all the other Lodgy people in the city somehow got people listening. And it was almost like they, like, you know, there were articles that came out that was basically saying, well, when they get a real sports show and their contract is up in a year, blah, blah, blah. And people were sending resumes and tapes. And it was kind of cool because slowly but surely our ratings started going up. And then I think it took a year, just over a year, and we ended up uh, beating EEI. And it's been fun ever since. It was it was purely from the, – the reason we became successful was just purely born out of the disdain for sports radio. Yeah, I mean, if you want to do a talk show these days, you have two choices, politics or sports. Like, those are the two formats now that, you know, since the Opie and Anthony and Stern left, that those FM hot talk stations don't exist anymore. Yeah, and I and I like. I mean, once again, you know, Fred, you'll not find a bigger baseball fan than Fred. I, quite frankly, am not a fan of baseball. It's my least of the four favorites. I'm huge basketball and NFL. You know, the NHL is great too, but but it's one of these things where you know we're going to talk about that normally because we're you know we're guys, and and this is you know especially when you live in a city like Boston where it's all around you. You know, this is something that you would normally talk about. But we go into it with that mentality. We're going to talk about sports as much as we would normally talk about sports. If there's something else going on in the world that you got to pay attention to, you know, then for all means, we're not going to stick to some script just because and make up false stories about something we could give a rat's ass about. Because quite frankly, I'm not good enough to do that. I'm not smart enough to come up with something I don't believe in and give you an hour long dialogue about why I believe in something I don't believe in. Right. So that's kind of how we it was by accident. And, uh, you know, and I work with a guy who's my friend, you know, he's one of my good friends. We got to put together our own show, which I think is a huge uh, reason for a lot of show success is when you can make your own show with guys you would normally hang out with. They tend to be more successful. So we're just we're lucky. I mean, we you know, we, we have a bunch of passionate listeners and it was all by mistake. 
Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It's Al's Boring Podcast with Al Dukes. And what's the show prep like? What time do you guys get in? Who's responsible for what? How do you break that up? It's weird. We we have we all have different responsibilities, and uh, the way it works is we are a six man operation. There's me and Fred. There's John Wallach who does our headlines, but he's also a third member of the show. You know, Mike is always cracked. And then in the production room we have Dan O'Brien, our producer. We have Mike Lockhart who does a lot of the uh, audio production, and then we have Adolfo Gonzalez who is a strange cat, and he's you know just stays out and interviews drunk people after games and gets a street audio, but he also answers the phones and. The way it usually works is that I will, I'll come in, I'll come in, I come in around anytime between 3.30 and 4, and I like to be very hands-on with the type of audio we do. We're also very audio intensive, like we do bits that I produce and things like that, and I like doing that. It's weird, I just, I'm, I'm a, I, I guess I have to, I don't want to say perfectionist, but I, I like having my hands in everything. Um, so I'm here at, around then, and then Fred comes in usually right before the show starts, but I also depend on Fred to be able at any given moment go off on something. I mean, he does a lot of his work at home and researching. He's just very naturally talented off the cuff, whereas I like to prepare things and come in and just be able to, you know, have my arsenal behind me and ready to go. Uh, Then there's Dan O'Brien, who the day before will talk about guests that we want to book, storylines, uh, and then, you know, uh, it, we'll, we'll know, we'll know whether to send Adolfo out to talk to people and, and, and that kind of thing, but that's pretty much how each day goes. And we're also all very well prepared to at any given moment, change the dialogue and go in a different direction because we're very short attention span. So yeah. that's, that's pretty much it. And what's your uh, sleep schedule like with, uh, games going on at night? You know, like we have the same thing here, you know, Patriots are a popular team, so they'll get a lot of primetime games, the Red Sox games, Bruins games, Celtics games, they all go on at night. So how do you watch the games and get a little bit of sleep before you have to be on the air, if you're, if you, especially if you're coming in at 3.30 in the morning? You just get used to the sleep schedule. You know, I, I mean, I know it sounds kind of easy, but, you know, we're going to bed, or at least, at least my sleep schedule is I go to bed around – what, I guess 11.30 every night if I can get to bed. If, like if it's a hockey game that ends early, I try to get to bed maybe around 10.45 or 11. And then, you know, I get up in, uh, in time enough to be here at 3.30 or 4. And then I take a nap in the afternoon. I try to get a good hour to hour and a half long nap, like around 2. And you just do that. And then in the days that you don't work, you still kind of got to take a nap to keep yourself in a schedule. Either that or you'll just fall asleep like a robot at two in the afternoon. If your body's like used to it, you just got to make sure you're, tra- you're somewhere where you can, you know, uh, possibly get some rest. And if you can't, you just kind of roll with it. But um, that's how. I mean, you know, you, Al, you do the same thing. You know, is that, uh, that kind of similar to yeah, how similar. you work? Yeah. yeah. And then on the weekend, you try to sleep like a normal human being then Sunday night you're staring at the at the ceiling because you can't go to sleep because you've, <laughs> right. you've been up on a regular schedule I mean we were a boomer I have I have you know I'll be falling asleep in the second quarter of a Monday night game that boomers at doing the game that's what yeah. I don't understand and then he's amazing he's I, we, there we, at 5 30 in the morning 
we, we've busted his balls about that before. We've been like, Boomer, you don't need to do all this work. Right. Like, you're doing really well for yourself. You're going to have a great career ahead of you. And, of course, he busts our balls for being slack, you know, and having that kind of attitude. But at some point, you know, maybe this starts taking years off your life. You know, if, 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 you've, if you've noticed, outside of Boomer, of course, uh, morning radio hosts are not the most attractive-looking no. people. And most of it's because they, the sleep schedule just whips your ass. And, 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 and I mean, that's, there's more reasons than that, but, uh, but, uh, but it's the truth. You know, the bags under the eyes, it's not a very healthy lifestyle, but you just kind of got to get used to it and find your rhythm, right? I mean, is that the yes. kind of how you feel? Yeah, you got to find your rhythm. I wonder yeah. this about, like, doing a show in Boston versus New York. So in Boston, you assume that your audience is a Patriots fan, a Red Sox fan, you know, all the local teams. And here we have uh, two of everything. So I always kind of battle back and forth, you know, if, if there's a big topic that's a Met topic and it's a heavy Met topic, like Mike Piazza type thing. Yeah. And then, like, do Yankee fans listen to that or, or, or are you giving them a reason to go somewhere else? If you're talking Giants and Coughlin, 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 do the Jets fans go somewhere else? And I wonder, it just seems like a different approach when everyone in the city is a fan of one team. I, I, uh, I, you see, I, I guess... I would think that if in New York, and and you you guys would know, I, if you're entertaining no matter how you talk about a team, then people are going to stick around. Like if if you're just talking about Mets and giving stats and things like that, but if you're so over the top passionate about that team that it pisses off Yankees fans, that's good because then they'll want to call in and crap on you or do whatever. At least they're passionate about it. Or if you have somebody who is so over the top. You know, uh, who hates one team? Uh, you know, you know what I mean. It's just it's, it, if you can tell the passion. I like listening. Hell, I'll I'll be in other markets and I'll like tune into the sports talk radio to see if it's any good. And if someone is, you know, you, you can approach any team or any topic that's boring and make it interesting. Yeah, I guess that's just it's a little more work than just spitting out what happened the night before. But uh, but here, you know, people are Patriots fans, and the Deflategate thing was very good for us. And uh, I guess it's easier. I, I mean, I, I, I imagine it is. I guess it all just comes down to being entertaining however you talk about it. And who else do you listen to that does this for a living? Uh, you know, I, well, I, I'm, I, there's, a, there's a few shows I like, and, and it's getting better. The sports talk world, I think, is getting a little bit better. You know, when it, I think it was a dark place, when, you know, around 2009 when we first came into it. But uh, there's a kid out of – a kid, my God, he's just a little bit younger than me. Uh, there's a guy out of Philadelphia named Josh Innes who I really like, and he's been a friend of ours for a while. And, you know, he used to run the board for Kid Craddock when he worked in another market that we were syndicated in. So we kind of had this little, you know, weird bond. But he is pissing off a lot of people in Philadelphia, and it's really funny because he's kind of like got that attitude where I just don't care. I'm not one of these people who grew up wanting to talk about Philadelphia sports, and he lets that be heard on the air, which is which is great. You have an attitude of I don't care. I think people respect that. I like him a lot. Um, I like, uh, I mean, I, I like, I listen to, you know, I listen to podcasts of your guys' show, uh, uh, obviously. Uh, Francesa's weird. Fred loves Francesa. Francesa I only like when he does something ridiculous, like can't figure out why Star Wars started it, uh, <laughs> <Right>. episode four. <laughs> like that, and like, and like when the Mungos call it, that, that's for me, I couldn't listen to four hours of Francesa, but if you, you know, if RL's Funhouse or whoever isolates that 145 second clip where he's checking his phone, 
you know, <laughs> for right. an entire break. I'm in. Could you, you know, I'm in on that. Could you imagine doing a show by yourself for five and a half hours every Dude, Al, day? I don't know how he insane. does that. And you know what? It's he's wildly talented to be able to do that. I mean, anyone who can do that, stand in a room by themselves and just do. Like, I mean, you know, guys like Colin Cowher. I mean, I respect the hell out of people who can do that. Me, it would drive me insane. And you know what? I'd be falling asleep like he does. I, I would, you know, Sweeney Murdy on the phone. Right, I'm gone. <laughs> you know, I would do exactly what he would do. So I can't give him too much crap. But my God, I, that I that would drive me insane. So I don't really listen to show. Fred loves him uh, for some for some reason. Like he can listen to the entire show. And my God, I, I mean, I'm obviously in the minority. He's the best in the business. You know, if you read all the papers and stuff and he, his ratings are amazing and I respect the hell out of him. Yeah, but, he's um, one of those guys, too, where people will call me to tell me that he sucks and then tell me everything he did that sucks. Yep. So they're, they're they're locked in even though they, they claim to not like him or they think they don't like him when they yeah, really do. They are good. Uh, I'd say the one last show I like is, is and this is kind of cheating, but it's true, at, at this station, the afternoon show, Felger and Maz, are really, really good. Like Mike is a guy who show, Mike Felger is a guy who shows up. He knows his stuff. There's not an argument that he can't win even if he may not 100% believe what he's saying, although he's gotten better, I think, at that. And Maz is this ex-baseball writer. Oh, he still writes, uh, but he used to be, you know, with the Red Sox constantly, who knows everything there is to know about the sport, but he has got this just wicked sense of humor that's really kind of, I don't know. He's one of the more underrated people at this station, but that's one of the few shows that I can be engrossed in for a while because, boy, do they piss people off in this town. Man, do they piss people off, but everyone listens. But it's in a good way. It's like I like seeing the anthill being peed on every once in a while. And who's uh, very popular that you don't understand why they're popular, sports um, talk-wise? I, I mean, I, I would say, you know, anyone at the at the station that, that's across the street and just because like that. Them. Uh, no, I, I don't get them. Uh, and it's not that I don't, I don't like them, but and I don't even get to listen to them that much. But when I tune in... It's just not something – they're not talking like me or my friends would talk. I guess that's – if that's a horrible way to say it. I'm trying to think who else. Um, I don't really list, choose to listen to a lot of sports talk. I mean, yeah, that's, it's tough that's, when you do it for four hours a day and you're prepping for it to be then listening to it. It's like – because it's the similar topics all day long on these radio yeah, stations. Yeah, it, it is. It is. I, I mean – I yeah, I I, I I think I've named all the ones that I'm really loyal to. Fred likes these guys out in Detroit. I forget what they're called. Um, uh, it's a Detroit show, and I wish I could help give him a plug, but I but but that's that's pretty much it. It's very small. Uh, there's a lot of good shows, but there's very few that I would actually listen to the podcast, kind of like your guys' show. No, I was looking at your Wikipedia page, and it says you're from New York. Uh, yeah, I was born in Long Island. I was um, until Good when? Samaritan like, Hospital. When were when when did you leave? Oh, uh, boy, I was, I was a little kid. I was, I think, two when we moved. So you don't moved. consider yourself a New Yorker? Oh, my Lord. You should hear my mother talk. She has the most thick Long Island accent that you've ever heard in your entire life. My entire family's from up there. And so, every, like, you know, when she moved, because we went to uh, Chicago for viewers, and then we went down south. You should have seen the looks that she got when she moved to you know, Atlanta, Georgia. It wasn't even Atlanta. It was like this hick town, uh, which, you know, I, I'm growing fond of, called Kennesaw, Georgia, where actually the law is that you have to own a handgun. It's it's so crazy down there. You have to, in the book, if you, it's against the law to not own a handgun in Kennesaw, Georgia. And uh, they, they, like, thought she was from Mars, the way she would speak with her Long Island accent. They had no idea what she was saying. So where did you grow up? Where did you spend most of your years? 
Well, I was seven. Uh, I was eight when we moved to Atlanta. So I would say Atlanta was kind of the majority of my life. I went to college at Georgia Tech, so pretty much down there. So, And then that's where you met uh, Toucher. Yeah, that's where we met. He was from Detroit. He went to college in Florida and got this job at a, a literal barn uh, of a radio station that he had to turn off at night in North Georgia and uh, got an internship right around the time that I started working on the mornings there, and that was it. It was good, and uh, that's where we met. Now, we hear legendary stories about Mike and the Mad Dog, how they would go years without speaking to each other off the air. <laughs> yeah, do, yeah. do you ever have that situation where you know, you work with somebody for four or five hours a day where they get annoying and you and you think at some point like you don't want to break this up because it's a great thing on the air and i would always think about that like you don't want to screw it up because it's such, such a great thing on the air but how do you get along with somebody for wor- seeing them and working with them for that many hours a day no fred and i are good friends and you know, we also are of the mindset that you know, you get in, we get in fights on the air all the time yeah but then when we realize that this is a stupid show we're talking about millionaires with you know playing with bouncy balls right what the hell are you know is it, are we really going to be mad at each other after that you know over the commercial break we just kind of laugh it off um and we've been in some pretty heated on-air fights before but you know it's one of those things that i believe the key to a successful show if you want to do it for a long long time is don't I mean, some people don't have this convenience, but try not to get a show that is put together by somebody else. Right. Try to put together your own show and then make a demo tape and give it to whoever is going to hire you. And that's what we did with CBS. Fred and I were good friends. We always knew we wanted to do a show, and uh, they you know, flew us to Phoenix to do this week at like midnight so no one would hear it, so they could hear what we sounded like together. And, of course, it worked because we normally BS for hours at a time and until we had kids you know we used to drink together all the time and we would get in trouble together and you know now it's like uh you know <laughs> we're, we're getting we're getting older now we've got these damn rugrats that we got to take care of so we don't get to do that as much and would you rather be doing uh, a local show in a huge market like boston or be uh what they would say national show National I don't even sports show. I don't care what type of show it is. I just want to be on one of the biggest shows in the in the country. I don't care. Fred and I have no bones about that. We you know, syndication. It doesn't matter to me. Fred and I will do anything. It's just that the one thing that Fred and I. I'm speaking for Fred, but I know as far as myself, we are. Uh, you know, we're extremely driven. You know, we we and our and management knows that. You know, this is something that we would like to build and and grow and uh i just have a feeling that you know we put it this way we, we're never satisfied which i kind of like you know fred is uh, always worried that someone's going to catch us in the ratings i like that right. he texts me and calls me he's he's got he goes to a therapist thinking about it and it keeps him working hard and i like to think that i'm the same way but yeah i mean i i would i just want the show to just continue to grow and, and never you know kind of rest on our laurels and and you know maybe one day we'll be as big as you know boomer garden oh yeah welcome to play it a new podcast network featuring radio and tv personalities talking business sports tech entertainment and more play it at play.it it's al's boring podcast with al dupes and you have a, a TV simulcast up there in Boston, yes? Yeah, we're fairly attractive people, and that doesn't make people sick when they watch them. The now, do you worry about that? That oh, what if uh, someone with uh, with the ratings meter is watching us on television instead of listening to us? 
You know, there was a weird concern about that when they first approached us, but our afternoon show had been doing it for a little while, and they were wildly popular. So it's you know it was one of those things where if you want to grow, you sometimes got to take risks like that, and you got to go. Well, you know what this because because this the TV show goes to like four states that we're not in. Like I mean, it goes to, up to Maine, it goes to New Hampshire, it goes to Vermont, it goes down to Rhode Island. And matter of fact, you can get it nationally, but it's one of those things you have to pay like an extra fee for. But I mean, it, on regular cable, all these places that weren't getting our show now get us. And I'm like, if you got to if you're going to expand, you, you know, just you, we got to we got to do this. You got to take that jump. And so far, it's uh it's it's it hasn't hurt the show. So we're happy about that. Plus being on TV, you, you could pull two paychecks for doing the same like amount of work. Oh, we make loads of money for our TV. Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> you should you should see the newspapers I can buy. Yeah, the the thing I like about uh, Boomer and Carton being on uh, CBS Sports Network is we'll get calls from like Alabama. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's it's good. awesome. Yeah, if you're calling from Alabama, you go front of the line. Oh, absolutely. Like, <laughs> I mean, if, if we learned anything from, from the Paul Feinbaum show, oh, Paul <laughs> Feinbaum, that is something I, I would listen to that all day. If you learn something with that, if there's a redneck from Alabama calling the show, he goes first. Yeah, I love anyone with uh, a southern accent or middle of the country accent. They go right to the front of the line. I don't oh, care I, what they're talking about. Absolutely. They're in. And they were also very confused as to why we're only talking about the New York teams. Like, they're like, yeah, right. Why y'all talk about the Mets? <laughs> I got them Bama boys. They got a big game coming up. Road time. And then they hang up and say something incomprehensible. <laughs> and you're like, all right, well, that was a fun 30 seconds of nonsense. Uh, yeah. And is the, uh, would you, uh, I always wonder this about uh, people too, with sport broadcasters. So many times the goal is to go to New York. Where isn't it a great life being on top of the world in Boston? I love Boston. I mean, the, the people here are smart. You know, the, the 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 listeners are very witty. You know, it's 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 about as good of a a crowd. And on top of that, it's you know they're also kind of they also have. It's gonna sound really cheesy, and I'm gonna get very Pollyanna for a minute. But they also have really big hearts. Like these guys, like um. You know, with the whole, uh, my wife got very sick a couple years ago, and she's still kind of recovering from it. But I mean, the listeners were amazing during all of that. Like, I mean, just sending all these words of encouragement, stories of people who gotten through what my wife went through, and uh, and the the marathon bomb went off literally in front of my building, and my wife had zero immunity at the time; she had leukemia, and I was in there, and we had to run through all of that, and it was just you should have seen how this town came together and being able to kind of be a voice about that. I, I swear to you, I've never lived anywhere. And I've lived in a lot of places before this where I have seen just a, a community rally like this. And uh, I just, that's one great, that's one of the best things about Boston is I've seen them, how they've rallied in bad times. And God, in New York, I don't have to tell you, there's no shortage of stories that I'm sure you've had from the last, you know, several decades you know, right. things that you guys have gone through. So it's kind of cool to see that side of people and not just see the you guys suck. I can't believe you said that about Belichick. I want to punch you in the head you know, <laughs> side of it that most sports talk people get. So, no, we love it. But as far as like New York and, and moving up to a bigger market, you know, listen, we're as for now, we love doing our show here. We want to be as you know, we, we obviously always want to expand. But I'll tell you what it's you know, for now, we have a, a really, really great gig. Yeah, I always wonder, like, these guys that are in Tampa and they want to leave. I'm like, why wouldn't you want to be the king of Tampa? Like, yeah. Th- th- you, you, well, money. Money. Yeah, I guess money. Yeah, and that's the main reason. And and it's, you know, the bigger market usually, usually, not always, 
means bigger money, but it also means if you're moving to a place in New York, a bigger cost of living. Right. Which is, you know, something that, although Boston's not exactly the world's cheapest place, but it's not New York. So, yeah, I guess that's why. But we love, we absolutely love our gig right now. No complaints whatsoever. Well, Rich, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I avoided saying your last name because I knew I wouldn't say it correctly. It's Schertenlieb. Oh, that's how I would have said it exactly. Excellent. You then, then you know what you nailed, nailed it. it. I would you have know nailed what? it. Record it and then place it in there in the middle, and no one will ever know. <laughs> Just insert it right there in the middle. I'm curious. So, so you heard my demo from Craig? I, you know, you I know did how you years got ago. I don't know I'll how I got it. And that was back when it was literally on like a cassette or a uh, CD. It was not kn- digital for sure. I'll tell you exactly how it got in your hands. It's because there was a um, uh, a consultant named Randy Lane uh, okay. who uh, I was friends with. And he had approached me about possibly giving him something to give to Chris Olivero. And I think it was for a producer's role for the uh, the Adam Carolla show. Oh, yes. That could have been it. Yes. So, yeah, we were looking, of... yeah, we were looking to staff Carolla, David Lee Roth. I think Rover had his own people already because he was the other guy that was like taking over some Howard stations in the Midwest. Yeah. But no, yeah, right. yeah, you're right. I think I had Jimmy Kimmel record something, especially for, not Jimmy Kimmel, um, 50 Cent. I was interviewing him, and at the same time, I you know the, the 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 you know I was talking to the consultant about that gig, and I said like, hey, Adam Carolla, hire this guy, or I'm going to come and shoot you nine times or something <laughs> like that. And I just had him like rip on Adam Carolla, and uh, that's either way. Uh, but that just kind of that's that's very very funny. I I would love to know what stupid stuff I put on that tape. Yeah, it was very funny. It was very <laughs> funny and it was it was just like kind of like dry humor. Like yeah. The people that you were you were interviewing did not know they were being goofed on while you were doing it right, <laughs> right to their like, face. Yeah, that was that was kind of a fun thing that you know, Fred was really good at that too. And uh I mean when you get a second, you know, when you get like 5 minutes with Tom Cruise and you don't bust his balls about something right. then you haven't done your job right, you know. <laughs> I think I made fun of him. I said, what is it like yeah. playing volleyball in jeans? Yes, that was on your on the tape as well. Okay, okay, good. good. Yes, I did. I did uh, hear that many years ago. 2005, right. I think that was. Yeah, that's when it would have been. That's yeah. right. Jeez, man. We're, 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 we've been in radio for a while, haven't we? Yeah. And how long have you been uh, here at on the uh, Sports Hub? 2006. It will be our 10-year anniversary, wow. uh, June 5th. Nice. When we moved here, so... So that's yes. Toucher and Rich, 98.5, the Sports Hub in Boston. And we can find you uh, on the various podcasts that the company puts out. Yes? Uh, yeah. At the, is it Play.it? Play.it. Yeah, play. Okay, Play.it. And your web, we, the, your uh, radio station website also. Yes, cbsbostonsports.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at Toucher and Rich. And um, and be underwhelmed. So uh, hopefully <laughs> you can listen to us and... Uh, and say hi to the guys. Uh, say hi to Boomer and Carton for me. And hopefully, if these Patriots can pull us off, uh, we will see you in San Francisco. Are you going to be out there? We will. We'll be out there. The Excellent. Whole week. All now, right. We're, we're, we are we are taping in the afternoon for playback the next morning because of the time difference. Are you guys going to be doing it live? I'll tell you what. Because of you guys, we are. Because Fred was like, "There's no way I'm waking up that early to do the show." Right. And I, I think we had talked to Boomer, and he had mentioned that, and we went immediately to our higher ups, and we're like. Hey, Boomer's recording it, and so now we, it, knock on wood, we would be recording our show just like you guys. So we would basically, I think, have the same schedule. 
And we'll all put the same uh, five guests on that come to the Super Bowl every year. <laughs> right, right. right. It's like the same right. guys. Yeah. The same guys hawking Charmin toilet right. paper. <laughs> like, to, please, Mike Dicker, let's talk about the Bears. No, yeah. let's talk about how much I crap. And here's some toilet paper I'm trying to plug. And there are certain guys you only see once a year. They're always at the Super Bowl. Dick Vermeil, always at the Super Bowl. Oh, real quick, Al, before I let you go. Yeah. Is it me or was the biggest entourage in Arizona of all the superstars that were there was the biggest entourage Papa John? <laughs> like, like you, you, it was like the president was yeah. there. Like, I, I was expecting him to come in in like the Pope mobile. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you could not talk to Papa John. But sure enough, you know, there's hey, look, it's Joe Montana, right? You know, one of the greatest players of all time. Hey, no entourage whatsoever. Hey, Mark Cuban's walking by. He's worth six billion dollars. He's wearing a sleeveless Maverick shirt, but he's got no entourage. But Papa freaking John. Oh, my goodness. You need to know the secret password to get past his 18 security guys that he had around him. Yeah, and I like like when they couldn't believe we didn't want to talk to Papa John. I'm like, well, no, <laughs> that or you when— You turned him down? Yeah, we you turned should... down Papa John, and and, and, and know who I turned down for years? Jared yeah. from Subway. Oh, okay. All that right. guy See, always wanted to come on. I'm like, for what? What are we going to talk to Jared from Subway about? Well, you know, now you look back I mean, and all yeah, the pictures yeah, you could have had. But the, the Papa John one, you just got to ask him, how do you throw such tight spirals in your commercials? <laughs> how, how, what is it like to live the life of like a god with your kick-ass car and the way you walk into any room and women just faint in your commercials? I mean, you're the king of this. I would have totally gone all in. You're the king of Super Bowl Media Week, Papa John. How does it feel? I also like how Papa John is just we've taken one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time in Joe Montana and made him like a dopey fool in all of the commercials. Like, and that guy's like, that guy was like a legendary quarterback. Now he's just like being a goof. Now he's just being goofed on. All right, guys, here's Papa John. I got an idea for this commercial. So I'm going to come in and be the king of kick-ass. Everyone loves me. And Joe Montana's going to walk into a wall. Just over and over. Walk into a wall. Then he's going to beat himself in the head with a pan. And, and then I'm going to just, you know, and then women are going to throw themselves at me. I'm going to be like, Papa John's, bitch. And that's it. What do you think? Can we roll it? Can we, can we make a commercial out of it? That Done. guy's got to be loaded, that Papa John. Oh, sure. Of course he is. Yeah, absolutely. The Papa. <laughs> the Papa. All right, man. I'll let you go. I'm sorry to mean to rambles for a couple extra minutes. All right. Thank you, Rich. Uh, and when I post this, you'll get this out to your very large Twitter following. Uh, yes. I hope. I'll, yeah, I, I will tweet that out and we'll be it. ready for... I'll be ready for uh, get ready for uh, huge hits. <laughs> I'll do. I'm gonna get the stats from Play. It. They're gonna say I don't know what you did on this one date, but it was huge. It's certainly power, baby. Bring it on. All right, thank you, Rich. All right, I'm getting loopy. I'll talk to you later, Al. See All you, right, man. See you. Bye.